The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Adam Finkelstein's here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davis. You have consent. And what an unusual story we have developing at the University of Kentucky, UK basketball coach John Calipari. He woke up Thursday in the Bahamas and decided he wanted to publicly campaign for a brand new practice facility for his program. He talked with the athletics Kyle Tucker and after detailing how the school has invested in football and baseball and lots of other sports, John Calipari, uh, he said the following, quote, this is a basketball school. It's always been that. Alabama's a football school. So is Georgia. I mean, they are. No disrespect to our football team. I hope they win 10 games and go to bowls. At the end of the day, that makes my job easier, and it makes the job of all of us easier. But this is a basketball school, and so we need to keep moving in that direction and keep doing what we're doing, end quote. Now, like I wrote in a column that published Thursday night, CBSSports.com, those words didn't really even make me flinch. Like, I understood the point Cal was making. I, I think he's largely right, but the U.K. football staff took offense. Less than two hours after the story published, Uh, Kentucky football coach Mark Stoops, he jumped on Twitter. He typed basketball school. I thought we competed in the SEC. Hashtag four straight postseason wins. Worth noting, the Kentucky basketball program has zero postseason wins since 2019. After that, this is where it got really interesting. Somebody tweeted that UK's football program has had more success lately than UK's basketball program. Mark Stoops retweeted it. Then somebody tweeted that Cal's comments were insulting. Mark Stoops retweeted that. I don't remember one coach at a school ever clapping back at another coach at the same school in such a public way. Adam, uh, what did you make of Mark Stoops coming for John Calipari's throat on Twitter Thursday? I mean, I I think it was kind of like, hey, can't we just go to the Bahamas and have fun? (laughs) You know, I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, clearly Cal is annoyed. You know, I mean, and, and I think the I think. I think it's about more than the practice facility, quite honestly. You know, I think it's about um, he hears some of the, 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 you know, the whispers and the Kentucky needs to do better and some of the what I would consider to be nonsense about like his job may be in trouble. Like, hey, if there's anybody who can handle that job and the pressures of that job any better than John Calipari. Please let me know. 
Um, but so I think it was just the frustration of all of that. And, and as if to say, like, hey, you have these high expectations, but the support needs to be equivalent to that and not just beyond the personal brand that I'm building. So, But I, I thought it was some, there was a lot of collateral damage to make his point. And, and I think that part had, to, and who knows what the internal politics are like inside the department, but I, I just kind of thought it was uh, unnecessary, I guess. But, but um, you know, clearly he wants his practice facility. Yes. Uh, the craft center is 15 years old. Um, so that's not ancient in facility years, but uh, John did go out of his way to detail. Like we had to stop a practice recently because the roof was leaking. You know, that shouldn't be happening at a place at like the university uh, of Kentucky. Um, I, I, I think his motivation was in the right place. I'll be honest. When I read the story, I was on a flight, uh, up, headed up here to New York, uh, read the story, thought it was well done by Kyle. Um, it, it was one of those moments where clearly he got John to just really start talking on the record. And, you know, then he took the words and, and, you know, just relayed them to readers. I saw some fans like frustrated with Kyle. It's like, you know, Kyle just asked questions and, John, and trust me when John Calipari says those types of things for public consumption, uh, it's not you pulling it out of him. It's him using you to be able to say what he wants to say. That was very deliberate by John. I, I, he might, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, want to take some of it back, maybe word it a little differently. But it, it, he did what he intended to do, which is put pro- public pressure on the administration to, you know, get going on a, a new practice facility, which uh, suggests to me he's clearly frustrated with the inaction. Um, I, I The point he was trying to make is, Like we've invested in football facilities, baseball facilities, you know, uh, track and field facilities. And I'm I'm cool with all that. Like I I want everybody to do well. But this is the University of Kentucky. Basketball has always been the priority. And I don't feel like it's the priority right now. Why am I having to beg and push uh, to, 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 to get this thing done? Why am I the one? Like, do I have to do this by myself? Who else is championing these? That was actually a word to use for the men's basketball program besides me. It can't be just me. And so I, I think, you know, his motivation was strictly to express frustration and hopefully push his administration in a certain direction. But but while doing that, and though it didn't strike me as a shot at the football program when I read it initially, I honestly thought it was a shot at Mitch Barnhart, uh, the mm-hmm. athletic director, when I read it initially. I can, after Mark Stoops, popped off the way he did understand why that must be frustrating for Mark Stoops because like, Hey man, if you want your practice to get your sack, don't, don't bring us into it and say, and this is the part I think that bothered him. John Calipari said, Alabama, that's a football school, Georgia. That's a football school, but Kentucky, come on. We're not a football school. We're a basketball school. And if you're Mark Stoops, you're going, Hey dude, um, you know, we took this thing from a very bad place to four straight postseason wins, four play, four straight bowl wins. We finished, uh, you were ranked in the top 20 of the AP poll. You know, maybe we're not actually competing for national championships, but we have got Kentucky football to an incredible place. And to have you, our basketball coach, tell the world, yeah, but we're not Alabama and we're not Georgia. So, like, let's stop, talk, you know, come on. That 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 was insulting to us and all the hard work, work we've done. I get it. I, I didn't. It didn't strike me that way, and I don't think John meant it that way. But if you're Mark Stoops or somebody who's got real, you know, sweat equity in that program, I can get why you might not like 
or why you definitely don't like your basketball coach saying what he said. Well, not only that, but you just, I mean, whether Cal meant to do it or not, he just armed everybody that Mark Stoops is recruiting against. I mean, that, that was, that clip was sent to everybody that Kentucky football is recruiting. Like, Hey, their school doesn't even think they're a football school. Like this isn't meant to last. So I don't, and again, I don't know the internal politics. That's what I think is fascinating. I'd be curious, like if, if your sources or in the conversation you had with Kyle, if there was any, you know, what the discussion was around the relationship of those two head coaches prior to this story, because to your point, I don't think Cal does much of anything by accident. You know, the, the perception that, that somebody tricked him or that it was taken out of context, like nobody understands how to play this game better than Cal does. That's right. So it's like, to me, I'm fascinated by that dynamic. It's either one of two things in my mind. It's either like, hey, there was a little bit of tension before this happened. And, you know, this is just kind of bringing that to the forefront. Or it's that Cal didn't think that it would be received quite as as negatively by the football program. And to your point, um, maybe given the opportunity just to reword some things a little bit differently the second time around, uh, he would do that. But again, I'm just generally of the opinion that somebody like Cal is very deliberate and very strategic with exactly what comes out of his mouth, exactly when it comes out of his mouth. Because it's, in terms of like the marketing, the branding, the salesmanship of college basketball, nobody does that better than John Calipari. So I just have a hard time believing like, oh, I didn't mean it. Like, mm, I don't know. I mean, no. you know, he's 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 pretty good at what he does. I've never met, and I, I think I mean this generally speaking in in life not just among basketball coaches uh, a more intentional and deliberate talker and um a more convincing talker um i get why he's great in living rooms with recruits as as i think most people know i was his beat writer for four years at the commercial pill when he was at memphis and you know, when he wanted to talk about something he would talk about it regardless of whether you were interested in it or not. I, I remember one time I went with him. He was going up to Bristol to ESPN. It was like Memphis had uh, no games during the week. And so mm-hmm. they had like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with no games. And um, they invited him up to come be in studio for, you know, in studio analyst, halftimes, pregame, postgame, that kind of stuff on ESPN. And and the whole, whole flight up, he's like going over grade point average stuff and graduation rates about his program, about Bob Huggins program at Cincinnati in a complimentary way, because he'd clearly been bothered by people saying, you know, Cincinnati doesn't, you know, that Cincinnati in that league doesn't care about academics. Memphis in that league doesn't care about academics. So he was armed with all these uh, uh, statistics. And at some point I was like, so are they, are you, are they asking you about grade point average and graduation rates tonight? Uh, is that is that what you're going to talk about? He said, "I don't care if they ask me about it. I'm going to talk about it." Mm-hmm. Like he is, it, so he. This was, you know, I, I I bet you very similar in the sense that he knew when he woke up yesterday he was going to give Kyle the words to build a story that would put public pressure on his administration uh, to get a, a practice facility done, or at the very least show his fans in the world how frustrated he is that he can't get this stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember just another quick story. There was one time where the Sixers job was going to open uh, or it had opened. This is, and keep in mind, it's a million years ago. And 
he knew this is like back when they had the best damn sports show or something like yeah, that. Was that what that a thing? And yeah, Stephen, yeah. A, yeah, Stephen A. Smith was who was rooted in Philadelphia was going to go on that show and say that he believes John Calipari should be the next head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. John knew this in the afternoon. My understanding is that John had already had a conversation with the Sixers and they had more or less told him, hey, we love you, but we're going in a different direction. Like we're not going to hire you. So he's so he's he he understands he's not getting the job. He also knows Stephen A. Smith is about to go on television and say he should get the job. So I'm literally talking to John in the afternoon, and he says, "Hey, um, just tonight, uh, listen, this thing's going to happen. Stephen A. Smith's going to go on television and say I should be the next head coach of the Sixers. Call me after that because I want to kill that as quickly as possible." Now he could have just told Stephen A. Hey, I, I'm not, I, you know, right. I'm not. He wanted Stephen A. to say that on TV, and then he wanted to come out and say, I am not a candidate for the Philadelphia job. Memphis is where I want to be. Because Did he get Memphis, an extension out of that? Uh, probably. But yeah. what he got more yeah. than anything else was Memphis fans going, can you believe our coach turned down the Philadelphia 76ers? Right. He didn't turn down the Philadelphia 76ers, but that was the uh, impression that it kind of made. Like, God, John Calip- Stephen A. Smith says John should be the coach of the Sixers, and John immediately says – I don't want to be the coach of the Sixers. Right. And, and right. so, and, and that makes your fans go, woohoo, we love him. He'll be here forever. You know how that story ended. So there's like, he's very good at getting accomplished what he wants to get accomplished. I think while doing it this time, he just, like you said, created some collateral damage with the football program. And I bet if he could reword that part of it, he probably would. But you know what? Here, I offered this as a, as a, is a different philosophy. You mentioned Bob Huggins. Where'd Oscar Shibway come from? How did that recruitment go? Sometimes collateral damage is a necessity for the goal they have to achieve. And it's got to be this kind of like ends justify the means mentality to get what they need to get. And um, I, listen, I, I think when you're in a position like that, you, you've got to figure out how to, how to get done what you need to get done. And, um, and so I, again, I just wonder what what was it? Is it like, hey, I don't, you know, there's some sort of bad blood behind the scenes, um, or was it like, I got to do this to get what I need, you know? Because it's, um, you know, I, I think we've seen again, you know, with the with the Huggins reference, I think we've seen some of that in the past too. Like, what's got to be done has got to be done. My program comes first. The other interesting thing to me is that the Kentucky football coach. We've reached a moment in time where the Kentucky football coach is emboldened enough to mm. publicly come at the Kentucky basketball coach, mm. which is not something I think you could have imagined five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, you know, John has always been the most powerful person on his campus. It mm-hmm. was true at UMass, you know, at Memphis, he did whatever he wanted. Like if he would have ever just woke up one day and went to the president and said, I want a new athletic director, they would have had a new athletic director like that. He, he had the power to do whatever he wanted to do. And I think it, that's largely been true at Kentucky for most, most of his career. And, and rightfully so. He's, he's done, broadly speaking, amazing things there. Um, but now, I mean, you just sort of connect some dots here. He so clearly badly wants a new practice facility, and he's so obviously not getting anywhere with it. He, yeah. he He's either being ignored or pushed back on, which must be 
I guarantee you John Calipari thinks privately, we, I'm running the biggest basketball program, or at least one of them, in the entire country. If I say I need a new practice facility, I should get a new practice facility. If you're going to spend $200 million on a football practice facility, you can spend 40 on a new basketball facility. Don't ever forget this is Big Blue Nation. Right. I guarantee you he feels that way. He should be able to just say that and get it done. But it's clearly not happening. And and when you combine that with whether it's real job pressure or not, he is under pressure from yeah. his fan base because – you know, in that 2020-21 season, they went 9-16, and 16, missed the NCAA tournament. Then comes back last season. They were really good, but lost to St. Peter's in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Like, you, it, when you back that bad season with that bad ending, the fans really do start to question. And I don't think it's helped with Bill Self getting his second national title, John still being stuck on one, despite having these incredible recruiting classes basically every, every year. I think... Um, the fans are not as, and I, I could just, just by doing Twitter searches, I can see this. They're not as enamored with him as they once were. They don't worship the way they once did. And I think the football coach being emboldened enough to pop off at John Calipari, I think there's a time, this is my point, where if John said exactly what he said, the Kentucky football coach would just be like, eh, I don't like that, but I'm not going to pop off publicly at John Calipari right. on Twitter. Right. But yesterday... Mark Stoops felt emboldened enough to do it, and I gather most Kentucky fans seem to side with Mark Stoops on this issue, which, again, it just must be a weird place for John to find himself in. So two things about that. I, I think the, the thing, and these are things that I've written about in recent months, is, is one, the other thing that, that's correlated to those results on the floor that you've seen is even on the recruiting front, there's, not this, there's been a subtle deviation from the one and done strategy that he was championing uh, for so long when he got there, you know, it was all about, I mean, and he was really hanging his hat on that. It's about, I mean, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but he just came out and said, like, it's about getting guys to the NBA. That's our top priority, almost to the point of like, Hey, winning national championships. is oh, secondary. Well, well, most famously, uh, one of the things he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was after they had like, they set a record for, first round draft picks or something right. like that. Like maybe had five or whatever the number right. was. And on the telecast of the NBA draft, he said, this is either one of the greatest nights in Kentucky basketball history or the greatest night in Kentucky basketball history. It was something like that. And Kentucky fans got really bothered by that because it's like, no, the greatest nights involve us winning national championships. The, the, the draft should be secondary, but John right. is forever recruited for the draft. And so he's, pumping that up, I think, um, to the frustration sometimes to, to his fan base. So here's what I thought was ironic about last year's team. Um, the thing that makes the NCAA tournament so magical is the potential for upsets and the unexpected to happen. Well, by the numbers, like the metrics of their offensive and defensive efficiency, Kentucky had one of their best years last year in a long, long time. I don't remember the exact uh, numbers right off the top of my head, but I did a story about this a few um, a few months ago, just in terms of it was their best defensive team. You know, their defense has long been a staple of, of their program. It was exceptional last year. Offensively, it was one of their best teams in a long, long time. In my opinion, there was arguably less NBA talent on that team than we've seen in a long, long time. So it was kind of an inverted correlation, if you will. And I think we've seen 
kind of a, a little bit of a strategic pivot in the way in which they've recruited in terms of now starting to emphasize transfers. Oscar Shibwe is not a great NBA prospect. He's just not. He's he's going to be a, you know, he was college basketball player of the year last year. He's got a chance to be the most dominant big man in uh, in the game again this year. But he's also not unique in that he's one of a handful of guys, including Armando Baycott, Hunter Dickinson, some other guys who say, you know what, we fit the college game better than we do the NBA game. And because of NIL, maybe we've got a chance to even profit more here than we do in the NBA game. So we're going to stay here for now. But but we're not really sure how we fit up at that next level because we're kind of like the, the Jalil Okafor type. You know what I mean? Like just not sure how it's how it's going to work in the modern day NBA. Um, so I, there's hasn't been quite as much to get excited about on the recruiting front as well, especially, and then you throw the shade and sharp thing on top of it. So all of it's like a little bit of a snowball effect where they don't have the same amount of one and dones. The Kentucky fan base is just like you said about Twitter. I can tell you this from uh, on some of our our team sites, like the, the response to, I mean, they don't even consider shade and sharp, like a Kentucky product. It's like, Hey, he didn't, he didn't play here. He's not one of ours. Um, So I I think there is some frustration there, but, but um, the iron ironic thing to me is I thought as a basketball team last year, you know, the NCAA tournament is not, it's the most exciting thing in sports, but it's not a great barometer of who is actually the best basketball team, because what makes it so exciting is the fact that it, it, it defies the odds because of the small sample size of just one game at a time. So they lost that game. Their fan base is livid because of it. But last year was actually a very good Kentucky team. There's no doubt. Like, I I think, you know, so much emphasis is put on how your season ends. Like, Mm. there are there are mediocre teams that go to the final four and people go, we had a great season. Yeah, you had a great two weeks and not really a great season. And then there are great teams that. Losing the round of 64, Virginia famously to a 16 seed. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like, oh, Virginia had a Virginia had an amazing season that ended incredibly poorly. Right. Um, And Kentucky last season was really good. And then they just, you know, credit to St. Peter's. You know, St. Peter's didn't just beat Kentucky and get blasted in the next round. Like St. Peter's won some games. But if you're Kentucky, um, and you're John Calipari and you haven't been to the final four since 2015, you can't lose that game. Not with that. That fan base is the best thing you could have when things are going well, but boy, when they're not, it can get really, really uncomfortable. And that's why, uh, like I said, I I, I don't think John Calipari is really going to get fired. If he has a bad season, they're going to get, who are they going to get? Like, like he's even if, Things haven't gone as well as Kentucky fans would want them to go in recent years. And the one national championship, as wild as that, as that is to say, having just one national championship is is a, a negative with him. Not going to the Final Four since 2015 is a negative. I still don't think anybody can do that job as well as he can do that job. And oh, by the way, if you actually wanted to to do hire somebody else, you got to pay him like a billion dollars. And then you got to go pay the new coach another billion dollars. Like the, the smarter thing is probably just ride this thing out with John Calipari until he doesn't want to do it anymore until it gets so bad that you, you have no choice. But I, I just don't think we're going to get there. Like, I think he's under Twitter pressure. Yeah. I, I think he's under message board pressure. I don't know that he's actually under real job pressure, and I, and I think the most likely scenario this season is that they're really good again. 
you know, that they're really good and they they don't get upset by Peacocks in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I, I think if we're talking in April, there's a chance, you know, he's he's just made the Final Four again, maybe won his second national title. Like the team on paper is really good. But if they do get off to a rough start or have a rough season for whatever reason that sometimes happens, um, it'll get real, real nasty real quickly because, you know, I, I've noticed it even – you know, John is pretty active on Twitter and, you know, he'll share his thoughts on different things all the time. And there was a time, no matter what he tweeted, like the Kentucky fans would back it up, like no matter mm. what it was, like if he jumped on Twitter and said, I think live golf is the best thing that's ever happened to sport. They'd be like, yeah, we love Saudi Arabia. Like whatever he said, they were down with it. And that, <laughs> now I, I I see them push back on him when he makes certain comments and that's that's not always been the way it's been. And if if this season doesn't go well, it'll you know he might need to you know delete the Twitter app from his phone because otherwise he'll be seeing a lot of things that you know it, it'll it'll turn badly quickly if this season doesn't start well or go well. But if it does go well, right. all of this will be forgotten, and of it'll course. be the approval the approval ratings will be back up over ninety percent again. That's exactly right. Um, and and my guess is based on and I and, and I'd, I'd get your thoughts on this, and then and then we'll move on. Um, my guess is they're going to be good, like I said. But you know these newcomers better than I do, Casey Wallace. Like, what what kind of impact is a guy like that and the other first year players? What kind of impact are they going to have on this team this season? You know, Kaysen Wallace is a he is a old soul, if you will. He's not your typical um, freshman point guard because of the toughness and the maturity that he brings to the floor. He's also not your prototypical, uh, you know, John Wall, De'Aaron Fox, just a, a lightning bolt up the court kind of guy. So um, it's going to be um, he's going to be reliable, but not, in my opinion, quite as dynamic as some of those guards you've seen in the past. I I think this is going to be a Kentucky team that is going to continue to play kind of that smash mouth style that you really have to play with Oscar Shibway in there. Um, You know, and it's going to be about deep. I mean, let's face it from a, from a basketball standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, you know, John Calipari is known for the recruiting, but if you go back and study the metrics of his teams from an offensive and defensive perspective, He's a defensive coach. I mean, they are always good defensively. And a subplot of, of all of this, and uh, not not to go off a ta- on a tangent here, but notice the way the game was officiated last year. Remember when freedom of movement was a thing? Well, now that some of these like big-name college coaches, uh, the North Carolinas, the Kentuckys, the, you know, last year was Illinois – now that they've got these bruising big men in here, they're campaigning not necessarily for what's best for the long-term aesthetics of the game in, in terms of freedom of movement, more offense, more points, yada, yada, yada. But in terms of like, hey, how do I win the most games now? And if you look at the way the game was officiated last year, I mean, it's very clear by the numbers. We went back to a very physical, no, you know, a lot of contact, and that is in the best interest of teams like Kentucky and teams who play with that kind of bruising center. So I think that's the type of game you were going to see at Kentucky next year. I think Case and Wallace fits right into that. Livingston, some of those other freshmen, they're very good. They're going to be capable of, of playing and starting right away. But from a physical perspective, they're going to be able to step right in and play a physical style um, that is that is going to yield itself to that. So that, that is what I expect to see. I expect to see a defensive-oriented team who's a very good rebounding team who will be opportunistic in transition 
but whose identity is going to be built on the defensive end of the floor. And if they have a vulnerability, it's going to be, um, you know, maybe a, a finer, uh, you know, a slimmer margin of error on the offensive end of the court. If you missed the column on Mark Stoops and John Calipari going back and forth at each other, you can find it at cbssports.com, published last night. Um, you can find it there or obviously on, on my Twitter feed. Moving on, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, arguably the most powerful person in college sports, has said he might like to see the NCAA tournament expanded. We'll get into that next. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey um, has said that he might like to see the NCAA tournament expand. Not definitely, but maybe thinks it's something that should uh, be studied and considered. His argument seems mostly rooted in the idea that some first four teams, otherwise known as the teams that were the last to get at-large bids, have actually made it all the way to the Final Four, VCU, UCLA. He mentioned Ole Miss in baseball being the last team in the field and going on to win the 2022 College World Series. So, um, his thought process seems to be, listen, we're supposed to be building a bracket um, that it, that includes every realistic possible national champion. And if we've got teams going from the first four all the way to the final four, um, are we, you know, are, are we cutting, is the cut line too low? Should, should, instead of having 68, should it be? 80 or some other number are we by cutting it where we're cutting it actually cutting a championship contender um I, I, let's just keep it simple i'll ask you do you think we need to expand the ncaa tournament well i, th- I think there's a couple different you know kind of arenas to consider this from are we going to consider the the um the argument he made um and the ramifications of that or are we going to consider the the primary factor which is the economics of the ncaa tournament because the ncaa tournament from a financial perspective is far and away the best thing that the ncaa does um and again correct me if i'm wrong but um that to me is is so the economics of it, regardless of the theoretical, like, hey, if VCU wasn't in the first four, you know, or whatever the case may be, they couldn't make their run. That's not going to matter if it's bad for business. And if we've learned anything in recent years, it's what's good for business is going to happen. So uh, from a from a purist basketball perspective, I would say this. The more teams you have in earlier, the more possibilities for, for um, opening weekend upsets make for good TV and good ratings. The flip side of that coin 
is by the end of the NCAA tournament, it makes for bad TV and bad ratings because I think like everybody was, uh, you know, St. Peter's every like Cinderella was dancing and everybody was fascinated to watch that Kentucky game. I'm not sure people were quite as interested or would have been interested in watching that in the semifinals. I think the semifinals, people want to see the blue bloods and they want to see those matchups. And that's the, the must see TV. So I think from that perspective, what would be interesting is if, if they expanded it, if they did something similar to what we've seen in the conference tournaments where, where you have a buy system or a double buy system or whatever. Now, the problem with that is that it takes away some of those potential upsets that are what the NCAA tournament is all about. So you've really got a lot of variables to consider there. Um, again, to me, it's just going to be all about, um, you know, what's going to make the most sense from a business standpoint, because that is what this is all about. Yeah, I you know, from a business perspective, it goes without saying the more games you have, the more inventory you have, the more money that's worth. So uh, a bigger NCAA tournament is undeniably worth more money. Um, I push back on Greg's um, idea that at 68, we're not including all the legitimate championship contenders because just because VCU went from the first four to the final four, same for UCLA. Um, it's not like we have an example of one of those schools actually winning the NCAA tournament. They both lost when they got to the final four. This is a very simple observation, but it's something a coach said one time and, and it's always stuck with me. Like the thing about being a Cinderella or even a first four team and getting to the final four is that you're still two wins away over teams that are better than you before you're the national champion. It's wildly uh, unlikely to happen. And you're exactly right. Like the, those St. Peter's stories, George Mason stories are obviously great when they happen on some, like in some ways, but they often end. Like, do you remember what St. Peter's last game was? They got smashed. Uh, you know, they just got you know, bombed um, out of the tournament. Eventually, the talent discrepancy often catches up with those teams. Like, if I remember correctly, Florida Gulf Coast wins two and then gets bombed. You know, St. Mm. Peter's wins a few and then gets bombed. When those teams get eliminated, it is often in lopsided games. And uh, from talking to network executives about this over the years, the truth is the NCAA tournament is enhanced by the little guys being in there because you do get that St. Peter's story, Dunk City story. Those are great, but they're all, they're not great. Like the George Mason story from a television perspective is not great. What what you want as a television executive is George Mason win two games, but then you got to go. And, and don't beat a blue, don't beat a blue blood either. Yes, you know, right. don't, don't take away our heavy hitters for the final four. You want to beat like a, a normal high major without a huge fan base. Great. But right. please don't be beat Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, UCLA, whatever. But the, uh, uh, for television, the worst nightmare is a George Mason in the final four. Mm -hmm. George Mason winning a game or two. That's fun. That's awesome. George Mason in the final four. That is, you know, that's a nightmare. And so. I guess I would argue that it's a sliding scale. If you expand, you get more postseason games. That's fun, but it really makes it – I don't think you're putting more championship contenders in as much as you're putting more mediocre teams in. Um, I, I've long contended, you know, as somebody who looks at this stuff every day during the season – and sometimes struggles to find 26 teams to call to, to, to deem rankable in a traditional sense. 
if you actually look at the last at-large bids, you're picking between some really flawed basketball teams, uh, some teams that have really – Maybe they were playing better at the end of the year, but boy, at some point, they did some super damage to their resume. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in this position. So you leave it up to me. I'd keep it at 68. I'd be more interested in going back to 64 than going up to, say, 80. But I do understand the economics of it. And if ultimately we get to that place, um, you know, I won't rant and rave too much about it. The only thing that I think, I don't want to say it's a non-starter, but I think would actually take away from what is special about the NCAA tournament is if they ever went to no automatic bids and there was no path for a Southern Conference champion or an Atlantic Sun champion uh, because that ensures the St. Peter's story that we all fell in love with is impossible. You can never, ever have that again. And the the Butler story, back-to-back, national title games impossible like you'd never have that again i don't i hope we'd never go to to that place um again if we do it'll be because of economics you know you can just divide it between a couple power conferences a few power conferences and and leave the little, so-called little guys out i think that really damages the product Agreed. Um, yeah i i don't i wouldn't want to go there but if we expanded you know keep it as is but just add more slots to the bracket I, I guess I can live with that. It's not what I would prefer, but it, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. I feel like when we opened up, you know, the first four, it, we opened up to this line of discussion because it, it's kind of like, you know, you broke the seal. So where, where does, where does the, the water stop running? But like, I, I, I go to the, I mean, I know we're not allowed to fill out brackets, you know, and stuff like that. But um, when I have friends and family who do their bracket and they show it to me, I'm like, Oh, what are you doing for the first four? And they're like, Oh, it doesn't even matter. And and that's like for most college basket, for the casual college basketball fan who aren't glued to their TV on a Saturday afternoon in late November. um, You know, that's what the NCAA tournament is. And it's that's 64 team field. So what does it do to the perception of that to the masses? Because it's the perception to the masses that the economics are really dependent on. And I think, you know, and, and people who don't watch college basketball, to your previous point, they'll turn on St. Peter's when they're making that run. They are not going to turn on Oregon State versus Florida State. Right. You know, like if, if they're just they're just not. Um, that's no different from, you know, a game that may be on uh, on, on that Saturday in, in November or December. And, and so I think, like, they've got to figure out a way to – and maybe the best answer is where we're at now, but obviously college basketball, the NCAA in general is all about maxing out the bottom line right now. If increasing the tournament is the way to do that, I think they need to do it in a way in which that they preserve the, the, uh, the importance of those 64 teams. You want to make it first eight, first 12, whatever. Um, But you, you preserve the importance of those, those 64 teams because that is what the masses are really interested in. There, no, there's no question. Like, um, and I think we're getting away from this on some level um, because for the same reasons people don't hold newspapers anymore as much as they read newspapers on their phone or their computer. Um, you know, the, the eight and a half by 11 piece of paper with a bracket on it, uh, that's not nearly as much of a thing as it was, say, 20 years ago. But it's still a thing. People Everybody's like, just clicking it now instead of writing it in. Right, but people yeah. still like the, the 
that bracket with 64 in it looks perfect. It, right. it, it's, it's easy to digest. Um, it's 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 easy to follow. Um, it's something people have grown up with. And again, we can adapt. We've adapted in the NFL and Major League Baseball and everywhere else. But I I'd keep it closer to where it is now. Um, for that reason and a, and a lot of other reasons than, than going up to 80. Again, I don't think it would – and I'm just throwing 80 out as a possible number. Uh, you know, you could even go bigger or smaller, whatever. There's but, also there, there's also just like pragmatic considerations in terms of like – you know, if you've ever talked to the teams that have played in the first floor, they find out they find out on Sunday they've got to jump on a flight right then and there. They fly to Dayton and they're – you know, and their next game is not in Dayton, by the way. Right. And they've got to go somewhere else and, and it's, it's – um, you know, I mean, there's and listen. The logistics aren't going to be the reason why somebody says no to a, a, a good business plan, but it's it's uh, it's got to be a consideration as well. There's no question. So again, I I don't want to overstate what Greg Sankey said. He just sort of publicly said for the first time that he would like to maybe consider expanding the tournament. Not that he definitely would be in favor of it. But just believes that it's something that should be discussed, and you would have to assume uh, that if they dis- uh, if they increased the size of the men's tournament, the women's tournament would probably increase at the same rate at the same time, just to try to keep things equal. So, for whatever it's worth, it, 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 this idea could someday, and I think we're probably years along. I think that's few. Like, nothing is imminent. Nothing's going to happen in the next few years. I, I'd be shocked. But there could be a day someday where this idea becomes a reality and, and impacts both the men's sport and the women's sport. And when it does, we'll talk to it, talk about it again down the road. Let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck, Larnell. And thank you guys once again for listening to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify over at Apple. Leave a nice review. Type words. Type words. There's more of us than there are of them. And we'll talk to you again next week. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.